When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the YouTube home for BamaOnline.com. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, alongside my partner, Charlie Potter, Senior Writer for us there at BOL. It is a Wednesday, February the 21st, 2024. Welcome back, Potter. This is two weeks in a row now. This is officially a streak with you here on the program. Yeah, I would like to say it's because things are slowing down, but that hasn't really been the case. These past two days have been a blitzkrieg with with news and, and coaching uh, stuff, availabilities. Uh, we heard from Nick Saban, his first public comments for the first time since he retired on Monday night. So it's it's been a busy week, but it's good to be back. Yeah, you wonder if Nick Saban still resonates in retirement. You were in Birmingham for that impromptu media opportunity, which thought it was interesting some of the things that you had to say about how that came together and maybe the level of surprise for Saban that he was thrust back in front of a media contingent, but that a guy just is going to resonate for a long time to come because right there at our YouTube channel for BamaOnline.com, in fact, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, I would certainly encourage you to do that right now. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. You had video footage of Nick Saban's comments in Birmingham. And when you go look at the view numbers for that video right now, it's probably of our last four or five shows or videos here on the channel. It's right there at the top in terms of views. So anytime this guy still gets in front of a camera, it's going to attract a lot of attention. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I, I think he was probably made aware of it, but he walked in and, I don't think he was just that jazz when he saw what was happening. Uh, but he looks good. I'll say that. He yeah. walked in. He's got a good tan. He's got a fresh cut. Um, he looks he looks healthy and happy, and that's really important. But, uh, no, he was he was good with his time. And, and he really didn't have that much of a, a time constraint, to be honest. Um, you know, no media relations people were there. I think Cedric was pulling some Josh Maxson duty, which was a little funny. Uh, Miss Terry had to come in and tell him to wrap it up. So, um, but no, he was good. He talked about retirement. He talked about Kalen DeBoer and uh, his comments weren't that surprising. He's talked about trying to stay at arm's length with the new staff. He doesn't want them to feel like he's looking over their shoulder, um, which I think given someone like Nick Saban, I think Kalen DeBoer's embraced it the way he should. Uh, I think he's, he's sought advice as much as he can. But Nick Saban wants him to make this his program. You know, he left it in great, great shape. But uh, it's it's time for a new coach to take over. I think that's kind of the approach that Saban's taken. You also referenced Kalen DeBoer making the radio rounds here in the last 24 to 48 hours between the coaching staff, his offense moving forward, and even some comments about an elite incoming wide receiver in Ryan Williams uh, made a few headlines of his own. Yeah. Um, well, we still, outside of that introductory press conference, haven't talked to him as a local beat yet. Um, you know, we got spring practice coming up in a couple of weeks. That's going to change uh, in a hurry. But, yeah, he's made some several appearances, whether it be national or local. And, and this week was 
kind of the local trail with going on with uh, Cole Kublik and Greg McElroy in Birmingham in the morning. But that was a really good comment. I think I got muted there for a second. Um, but with Ryan Williams, uh, it's, it's a situation where uh, it's his first comment since he signed. Uh, there was no signing day press conference because, I mean, I'm, my man Kalen's been busy. But um, you're talking about just the electric athlete that, that Ryan is, um, that comes as no surprise. He says he can do it all on the field. And he's a guy that when he gets on campus is certainly poised to make an impact. But whether it be these radio opportunities or uh, heck, even press releases. We've gotten some coaching news from Alabama finally in terms of announcements. Kalen's has some some good quotes about those guys coming in, and you know, this thing's starting to to come together here in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, there's been some rumblings too in the last 24 hours about a potential wide receiver pairing of Ryan Williams and Caleb Odom, who came to Tuscaloosa as an early enrollee outstanding receiver, whether it was as a wide receiver uh, at the high school level or a guy that you could move inside and utilize in some ways uh, like a tight end. Uh, sounds like this thing might be at least to start with the big man working more as a wide receiver. Uh, we've seen some indications of that anyway. You're muted again. I don't know what's going on with my AirPods. Uh, sorry. Uh, with Caleb Odom, I, th I think he's a guy that um, when he signed, people were interested. What's he going to do? Where is he going to line up? How is he going to look in this offense? And um, I think his his social media change, the way he's reacted to the coaching announcements, it's kind of a, a precursor or maybe a, a preview of what to expect in the spring. I think he can still certainly, you know, see some time at tight end. Um, you know, the, the brief time that we saw them out in California, you know, he was working with the tight ends before the Rose Bowl. And uh, he didn't look out of place there. He's a little he's a little thinner, but so was a guy like Amari Nyblack, and we saw what he was able to do uh, as an offensive weapon. And I think you know those guys are the definition of mismatches at that position. But I think it says a lot about Caleb Modem as a athlete that he's able to come in and you know get a look at wide receiver almost specifically um, or exclusively. So we'll see what happens. I think that's a good question for maybe the second, third day of, of spring ball. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how he's using this offense and and what, um, you know, Jamarcus Shepard and Kalen DeBoer and Nick Sheridan can do with a guy like that. Yeah, he's a guy that when you go look at his high school tape, he was pretty much a wide receiver in, in high school, or at least a lot of his clips. That's the way it appeared. So may not be a stretch to see a big target like that lined up out wide on a pretty consistent basis. So, what we're going to get in today, Charlie, is our top five players on the Alabama football roster as it sits today, I guess, because something else we heard from Kalen DeBoer in the last day or so is that still got some spots available uh, as far as potential scholarships if they're needed down the road when you think about maybe that transfer portal window in April. Uh, but as it sits right now, the way this Alabama roster is constructed, we will attempt to count them down with our own individual top fives from five to one. We'll go with that, Charlie. So with that, I'm going to ask you for your five hole guy right now on this Alabama roster. Yeah, it was tough to kind of put them in order. I think the top four are, 
are pretty clear, or at least like you look at the guys that have been leaders in this change. So for me, like the five spot was kind of like a wild card. Um, I went back and forth on several. I thought of a guy like Justice Hayes. I think Justice is a guy that um, is going to have a, a big role in this offense. I think he can have a breakout year this fall. I think the guys on the defensive side of the ball, like uh, Jihad Campbell, Tim Keenan, I think they were able to really get their feet wet this past season and and make huge impacts. But uh, I do think, though, I'm going to go, hopefully to your delight, go with a guy like James Burnham, man, coming back as a returning wow, starter. Wow, I love it. Yeah, um, a guy that could be an All-American candidate. I really think so this past year or this upcoming year after what he was able to do last year, finishing fifth in the nation and punting. Um, with a new offense, even though it's one that's proven, um, with new players learning that offense, I think a a very good weapon for that side of the ball is a dangerous punter. And I think um, James Burnham's gotten better and better over the course of his career. And uh, for me right now, uh, I'm looking more of like potential uh, All-American candidates. I think he's, he's maybe at the top of the list, but – when you look at the guys ahead of him that I have, um, I have to go number five. There you go. I love it. I always love the specialists getting some love. You know that. And yeah. I agree. If you're talking about individual accolades and the potential for that for guys on this roster right now, we talked about this before. James Burnup's probably one of those guys. So James Burnup in the five spot for Charlie Potter. I went with an interior offensive lineman at number five. And I wouldn't be surprised if you have one of these guys on your list at some point here coming up. But the surprise with mine might be that it's actually Jaden Roberts that I have here in the five hole. Instead of Tyler Booker, instead of Parker Brailsford coming in from Washington, I won't be surprised if at some point one or both of those guys are on a list like this and very easily could have been included. But I tried to keep the transfers out of it for now, for the most part, until we can really get a better idea. We're going to make this sort of a living list where it can change and evolve as we revisit it, you and I, as we get into spring practice and beyond. But for now, man, not just because Jaden Roberts performed at a very high level as the 2023 season moved along, but how he goes about his business is yeah. what I like. He is a culture setter. He is a intensity and physicality setter. And so give me the big offensive guard, Jaden Robertson. Charlie, I guess it could get interesting in terms of how some of the versatility of some of these guys plays into the five that we'll eventually see for Alabama up front because could play into that offensive tackle position too. Not maybe specifically Jaden, but just some of the guys they have to work with. No doubt. I mean, I think that leads into who I have at number four. You kind of alluded to it. Uh, I went Tyler Booker here just because he's a proven player. He's been a leader uh, even before the coaching change, but very vocal after Nick Saban uh, decided to retire. But um, Tyler's a hell of a hell of a player. He's been that way since he was a true freshman, and he started to rotate with guys like JV and Cohen and Emil Echior. But uh, I do think it's interesting. I think that's why I have him at four, because right now he's a guard. But Alabama really needs offensive tackle help. Maybe he's a guy in the spring that gets a look at that, because they don't have a ton of depth there. I don't know if that's, that'll be the case. That remains to be seen. But it's, it's certainly, I think, a possibility. He has some tackle background coming from high school. But, um, no, I just think the way that, you know, the consistency in which he plays with, and, again, that leadership is important. And for me, I, the, the top criteria – 
criteria that I thought about was was leaders, you know, pass production and, and potential for all American status this year. And for me, when you look at the, that offensive line, I think Tyler Booker has to top that list. Yeah, if if there's something I want to see more of, maybe from Tyler Booker, it's what you just talked about and what they're doing right now, and what we've seen on our social media timelines here in the last few days. Winter workouts, that's really where a lot of that starts. That's where I think Tyler could probably make the biggest strides, not just intangibly, but tangibly for himself in improving and taking another step as an already really good player. I went with Malachi Moore at number four because I think, obviously, the experience uh, and what you have in terms of documented production from Malachi in the past, but intangibly, you just talked about it, I think, with Tyler Booker. He's going to need to be that sort of glue guy. He's going to need to be that consummate leader on the back end of a defense that is undergoing a lot of change. And not just that, what he can provide at multiple spots, as we've seen in the past. Now, it'll be interesting to see uh, what Kane Womack's approach to that star position or what used to be the star position is moving forward. It may not be as much of a, a seamless fit for a guy like Malachi Moore. Maybe it will be, but uh, I want Malachi Moore at four. What about number three, Charlie? Who do you got there? Yeah, these are perfect segues because I went Malachi at three uh, because you look at what, you know, the defensive backfield lost. It lost a ton, but Malachi is that constant there. And you, I like what you said, just the leadership that he can provide in the back end. There's going to be a ton of, of young guys, a lot of new guys, and – Malachi is going to be essentially another coach on the field. You have Mo Linguist coming in, you have Colin Hitchler, but to have a guy like Malachi that's been in this program, even though he's also learning a new defensive scheme, I think it's invaluable for those young guys just to have the kind of a, a voice of reason out there, whether at practice or in games, uh, that steadying voice out there, I think is, is really big. And, and Malachi played really well this past year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think he's someone that's dealt with some adversity uh, he had a tremendous freshman season, dealt with some injuries, but then last year, um, you know, he was he was really good. I think he can be that again this year. And like you said, he can play a, a bunch of different roles. He can be a safety in the back end. He can play more in the box, closer to the line of scrimmage in the slot. Uh, so we'll see what happens because you know Alabama doesn't have a ton of experience uh, otherwise in that defensive backfield. Uh, but, I mean, 13 is going to be on the field, and if not every snap, damn near every one of them. So, for me, uh, with what they lose in the defensive backfield and just Malachi's experience, he, he's number three. Absolute building block, not just for that secondary, but really for that defense in general. And that kind of led me into the next couple of guys that I kind of struggled with in this order of two through four. I really had Malachi as high as two at one point as I juggled these guys. But – at number three, I went Jihad Campbell. I think in this defense with Kane Womack, the two inside linebackers are going to be out there a ton. I don't know if we're going to see as much dime in this defense as we've seen previously with, say, Nick Saban uh, and the coordinators that he had on that side of the ball. But I think Jihad Campbell, because of his versatility and his ability to play in space, going to be a really nice fit for this defense. You can also do some things with him from a pressure perspective, pass rush, those type of things. I went Jihad Campbell, number three, kind of defense heavy here on these last couple of picks for me. What about you, Charlie, at number two on our list? 
Yeah, again, we're we're setting each other up. I didn't go Jihad, but I went Deontay just because like what you said. I think these inside backers are going to flourish in this defense. They're going to have a lot of opportunities. They're going to be on the field. And for Deontay, the big thing with him is, you know, can he stay healthy? Because I think we saw he's a damn good football player, but, you know, he dealt with some ankle issues this past year, and that slowed him down a little bit. I don't think he was 100% uh, toward the end of the regular season. Um, but I think he's a guy that with some time to heal up, uh, if he can learn this defense, he's going to be the signal caller. You know, that was his role this past year. Um, you know, he was groomed for that. Uh, early on in his career with guys like Henry Toa Toa and Jalen Moody still on the roster. But um, I think Deontay, with with the guys that I've I've picked so far outside of Burnham, and, and James might be doing it too, I don't know. We've just seen the other uh, four kind of more publicly. You know, he's been a guy that's been out in front rallying the troops around this new coaching staff, and I think that's important. But I think with his play on the field um, and with this new defense, he's a guy that's going to rack up a ton of tackles. I think he can be disruptive, create negative plays. Um, we've seen him, you know, make plays from an interception and a forced fumble standpoint. I, I think he's a guy that can be, you know, in the mix for all American and maybe even a Buckus award at the end of this coming season. So I went Deontay number two, because, you know, he's, he's a quarterback of that defense right now. And, um, you know, I think with the guys learning that new scheme, he's going to be very, very important. Yeah. Deontay's injury history was one of the reasons why I flirted with Malachi as high as two, even Jihad Campbell. I thought about ahead of Deontay Lawson at no fault of his own, again, because of the health issues. But you're right. If he stays healthy over the course of 12, 13, 15 games, he is certainly All-American capable uh, of that type of season in this defense in 2024. So I went with the signal caller as well, Deontay Lawson. I have a feeling we may have the same guy in the top spot, but maybe you'll surprise me, Charlie. So go ahead. Give me the top guy right now, as we sit here in late February among the top five players on Alabama's football roster. I had him at number five. So I'm assuming you have Burnham at number one, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I went Jalen Milrow. You know, the guy finished sixth in the Heisman trophy voting. Uh, he's, he was a dynamic athlete. He's really emerged as a leader. I think Jalen's mature. Uh, he's been mature throughout this process. He said all the right things. Uh, and I think when you have um, Kalen and DeBoer coming in, and now we know that Nick Sheridan is going to be his quarterback's coach, um, I think if if Jalen can really lock in this offseason, he can be a hell of a football player this fall. I think if he can continue to take those steps as a passer, you know, continue to learn how to read the, the defenses and, and flourish in this offense. You know, We saw what a guy like Michael Penix was able to do. Uh, I think it, he could be really, really special this fall. I think there's going to be competition in the spring. Uh, it's a new coaching staff. Uh, you essentially have a, a clean slate, but you also have the film that's out there. Uh, I think that you know Ty Simpson coming back, Austin Mack coming in, hell, even Dylan Lonergan. It's going to be interesting. But you know, Jalen started 13 games this past season, uh, played really well. Um, I think he's a guy that if he can continue to stack – what he was able to do as a passer on top of what he's able to do athletically as a, as a runner, uh, he can be really dangerous in this offense. So, you know, quarterback is super important as we know, just look at what the, the Super Bowl uh, showed with Patrick Mahomes winning another one. So it, it's tough for me not to go there, but I, I do think um, with Jalen, one of the big things is just how he's really um, emerged as a leader on this team. And I think that's going to be really important this fall. Yeah, that gets overlooked or discounted at least by outsiders because 
they're not there every day and they don't understand that bond and that sense that a player like Jalen Milrow at his position is able to, to develop with everyone around him. That being said, we've heard from Kalen DeBoer in the last day or so about what he wants from the quarterback position. And I think there's going to have to be a coming together of the adaptability and the willingness to adjust as we've heard from Kalen DeBoer. And at the same time, it's going to be on Jalen to take another step or two as a passing quarterback. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I obviously agree with you in terms of competition. I think there's a lot of guys in that room right now that are thrilled with this offense that's coming in with Kalen DeBoer. I think Jalen Milrose right there with him because really what we've heard from Jalen and seen from Jalen in the past is that his preference is to stand in there and make decisions and make throws. But there's going to have to be an uptick in terms of efficiency. And look, completion percentage was great a year ago, but you can't take 40-plus sacks. Not all of those were on Jalen. I get it. But again, I go back to Washington's low, low sack numbers from a year ago. And a lot of that had to do with familiarity. Michael Penix had the advantage of having been in that offense for a long, long time. So a lot of the things, I think, became secondary for him became more second nature for him, became more instinctive for him. And I think that's where you need to hopefully get with Jalen here in a relatively quick period of time. But yeah, for now, I don't know how you don't have Jalen Milrow at the top of a list like this. Again, it's a living list. It's going to change perhaps as we move through spring practice, get more into the summer months and advance of the season. Now, as far as others that maybe just missed the cut for you with this top five, um, and I think this is interesting, too, because sometimes an individual list like this doesn't coincide with position group strength, right? I mean, we didn't have a wide receiver on our list here, but I think we both agree that it's very likely that wide receiver will be a strength for this team. Same thing for the running back position. Um, what about that in terms of maybe guys that, that just missed out? Yeah, I mentioned uh, Justice Haynes. Um, he was I, I thought long and hard about him at, at number five, just because we saw what he was able to do with a little bit of an extended uh, role in the Rose Bowl. He looked really good against Michigan. I thought they maybe should have gone to him a little bit more um, wide receiver. I, for me, it, my mind always goes to Kendrick Law just because he's that Swiss Army knife. And I think with a guy like Kalen DeBoer, who's more of an offensive minded coach, he's he's going to figure out ways to get him involved. Uh, whether he's lined up in the backfield, kind of that H-back role, split out wide in the slot. I mean, Kendrick can be all over the field. Um, and offensively, that's just kind of where my mind went. I think you could go other ways and look at a guy like Jeremy Bernard coming in from Washington. He knows his offense. I think he can you know, potentially be wide receiver one for Alabama uh, if it needs him to be this fall. Um, and then – do you want to talk about some of your offensive guys, or do you want me to roll right into the defensive guys I thought about? Yeah, I could throw – I had Kendrick Law on my list yeah, I for figured. a while. I had Kendrick as high as four on this list, and I finally moved on from him. But, again, if we're just talking about all-around football players, oh, yeah. between what he can do at receiver, where you can line him up as far as different places on offense, what he brings to the table in terms of special teams, I think this guy could be a two-way player. You know, I think you could put him somewhere like safety and he would be absolutely tremendous. But yeah, I had Kendrick on that list. Um, Jeremy Bernard was was considered. 
Uh, I like you, Justice Haynes, obviously Tyler Booker, Parker Brailsford. If we were going to include transfers right now, that's probably the guy I would have, even over an LT over 10 or, or someone like that. I'm not sure about you. Um, but roll into the defense for us and, and talk about maybe some of those guys. Because I think defensive line is kind of one of those positions I was talking about. I didn't have one of those guys on this list, but I think the DL has a chance to be outstanding. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, uh, I know you had Jahai Campbell in, in your top five, and I thought long and hard about him too, just because the same thing we said about Deontay Lawson, those guys are going to have opportunities. But yeah, the defensive line, um, you look at what comes back, you're just in is a big loss just because one, it was good to see him back on the field after what he dealt with last or two seasons ago now. Um, but you do have a ton of guys coming back. I think of a guy like Tim Keenan, who's just that run stopper in the middle of the defensive line. And he's someone um, I wrote about it on Monday, which kind of got lost in the shuffle of all the damn news we got. Um, but, you know, President's Day, I always try to do a, a fun little like here's some potential uh, leaders for Alabama. And Tim Keenan and Kendrick Law were both guys that Nick Saban mentioned early when talking about leaders on both sides of the football. And those were kind of unconventional picks from him last year. So um, I think Tim Keenan is someone that uh, is impactful both on and off the field for this team. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he can do um, in this new defensive scheme. But I, I think Keenan, Tim Smith, Jaheim Otis, um, heck, I'm interested to see some of the other guys like Jamarian Latham. I think he can be someone that flourishes in this scheme. Um, guys like young guys like James Smith and Jordan Renaud. I think the defensive line, you're right, uh, while losing a guy like Justin Boygby is significant, they have a lot of guys that got some experience this past year and played really well at times. Yeah, if we did position groups that are championship caliber today, I'd have the defensive line up there. Yeah, and I think that's a championship caliber group. I think your inside linebackers that you bring back are championship caliber. Got to answer some questions on the back end. That's where a guy like Damani Jackson, if we were including transfers on this list, I think he could be in that mix for sure. Uh, has experience coming from USC is uh, can fly, can flat out run. Um, but sure, I think the defensive line for sure, uh, you, you've got one or two or more guys that could very much be in line for break, breakout type of seasons in 2024. Hey, Charlie, let's shift gears to some Alabama men's basketball. A big one tonight at Coleman Coliseum. Early tip for Alabama and Florida. Florida playing some great basketball of late, coming in on a bit of a heater. The Gators started SEC play one and three and now sit at eight and four in the league. And so with that game in mind and what awaits Alabama in the next couple of weeks as it closes out regular season play, wanted to get your thoughts on ranking the remainder of the Alabama schedule. Uh, from six to one, we'll go. And this is in terms of, of difficulty, importance to perhaps winning a third SEC championship under Nate Oates. Let's start right there at number six. Who do you got in that spot? It's got to be Arkansas. I mean, yeah. Arkansas has uh, been disappointing this year. You know, they're just ahead of, of Vandy and Missouri in the SEC standings. I think they're four and nine in SEC play. Um, they did get a win over AM, though, here of late. 
So, you know, you give some pause to that. On the road. Uh, A&M's a, a, tough, yeah. a tough bunch and uh, really strong on the glass. So you know, Arkansas is really talented, but um, they've been really disappointing. So it's it was pretty quick to put the Hogs there at number six. Yeah, Arkansas at 13 and 13 overall, even after that road win over A&M last night, just three and nine in the league. Road record for the Hogs of two and five. Now, two of those wins at Missouri and again last night at Texas A&M but I'm with you I've got Arkansas and Eric Musselman disappointing season to this point for the Hogs they're in the sixth spot what about number five Charlie who do you got for us there you see this is where it gets tough because I think the rest of the five are are really difficult games Um, I don't really want to discount any of them but I looked at it I looked at Ken Palm um, I, I went Ole Miss the, the road trip to Ole Miss at number five. You look at the uh, the rest of the the games, the teams on the, the schedule, they're, you know, among the top you know, six in the conference, kind of the contenders there for that uh, SEC regular season crown. And, and Ole Miss is kind of on the outside looking in. I know the game's on the road, uh, but for me, it's just I had to slot them at number five just because I think Kentucky, Florida, and Tennessee are better. I went Ole Miss at number five as well. Heading into night's matchup with Mississippi State on the road. The Rebels sit at 19 and 6 and 6 and 6 in the league. You know, the the thing for Alabama that you worry about is it's the back end of a two-game roadie that starts with the yeah. trip to Lexington coming up this weekend. And the Rebels are 14 and 1 at home. The lone loss this season on its home court for Ole Miss came to Auburn. The Rebels did beat Florida by 18 in Oxford back in January. So I'm with you. I, 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 you, you it, it's still going to be a tough game, as you said. I don't think any of these six or any of these five that we're going to talk about are going to be particularly easy. But I, too, went with Ole Miss there in the five spot. Number four, Charlie, who do you got there? This felt wrong, I'll admit. But I'm going with tonight's game. Um, it, you get the, the Gators twice in these last six games. For me, going down to Gainesville is a little more difficult because Florida, I think playing Texas A&M uh, before this game against Florida is is big because Alabama, you know, had a, a tough tough time on the glass against the Aggies. And I think Texas A&M is second or Texas A&M is first in the country in offensive rebounding rate, and Florida's second. So it's a good precursor to what to expect from a, a physical Florida team that's good on the glass. But Florida's also really good offensively. You know, Alabama has the nation's number one offense. I think Florida's 10th when you look at Kim Palm. So um, it's going to be probably a lot of scoring tonight. Uh, Alabama's going to have to be good um, from a rebounding standpoint. But NATO said it yesterday. The Florida's also going to have to guard um, you know, Alabama's guards because he's. it doesn't sound like he's going to change from that smaller lineup he goes with with Grant Hill at the five. Uh, we know Florida's going to have some size inside with a couple of you know, 6'10", 7'1 guys. So um, it's going to be a little bit of a different styled matchup. But um, with it being at home, I had to go forward just because you got a couple of road games out there ahead of it. Yeah, under Todd Golden, Florida's committed to that two-post type of approach. So stylistically, going to be very interesting. Both these teams, though, very efficient offensively, as you outlined. So should be plenty of points at Coleman Coliseum on Wednesday night. The Gators... Three and four on the road this season. They do have road wins at Kentucky and Georgia here of late. I think they're two and one in their last three 
on the road. So I've got Florida as well there in the four spot. This is where it gets tricky too, because you still, from what we're picking from, have a couple of road games to go along with a home matchup against Tennessee and these final three games that we're going to talk about. So with that, who do you have at three, Charlie? I have the road trip to Lexington, and we talked about it last week with Clint. Uh, I think Alabama matches up a little bit better with Kentucky than, say, Florida and Tennessee. Um, you know, I think Florida and, and Kentucky are kind of risers here of late. I think Florida's won three in a row. Kentucky's won two in a row. Um, so I, I think that Kentucky is good offensively, too. I think they're actually ahead of Florida. When you look at offensive efficiency, I think they're eighth nationally. Um, so that could be another high-scoring game. And, you know, Rupp's a tough place to play. But, um, you know, as we mentioned last week, they had had some struggles early or not early, but middle of the season at home. So for me, I think it's going to be difficult, but uh, it, it it finishes at three for me, that road trip to Lexington. Damn it, Charlie. Uh, we're almost like for like, I'm thinking on this, because I, too, have Kentucky on the road in that three spot. It's crazy to think, but Kentucky is just one in three in its last four home games. and. Yep. That was after a three-game losing streak, getting a home win over Ole Miss here a week or so ago. But you're right. You get the sense that maybe after that road win at Auburn, Cal and his team have found something. No doubt a very talented team. Yeah. Uh, but a team that I think Florida kind of falls into this boat too. The concern you have for both Florida and Kentucky against this Alabama team is that you might think you want to get into the game, into a game north of 80, north of 85 points with Alabama, but I don't know if that's that's really the case. I do have Kentucky as well there at number three on our list. Number two, Charlie, on our list of ranking the <laughs> remaining games on the Alabama men's basketball schedule. Who you got there in that two spot? Maybe this is where we don't share the same opinion. Uh, I went with the trip to Florida. Um, uh, well, dang. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's the same thing we just talked about. Florida is good on the glass, but it being on the road makes it more difficult when you 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 kind of preface the rankings that way. Uh, because, you know, I mean, it's no surprise. Tennessee is number one because of the earlier matchup this season and the way that they kind of select Alabama. I just think Tennessee matches up well against Alabama. They have that big and in, in do who is a problem. We've seen Alabama have consistent problems with bigs. Uh, Dalton connects really good. They have good guards, experienced guards. So it it was hard not to pick Tennessee, even though it's at home in the one spot. But I do think that that road trip to Florida, you know, people look at the schedule. They see Tennessee on there. They see the Gators a couple of times. I don't, I don't think that um, people maybe envisioned this trip to Florida on um, March the 5th being as difficult as it may be. But that, that could be – um, when I, I think when we ranked it, that's that's or we we kind of broke down the over under on remaining wins for Alabama. That that feels like a potential loss when you look at the remaining schedule. So that one's going to be a, a tough trip. Yeah, it's, it's tough not to pick Tennessee at one. Yeah, I went Florida to the road trip. Gators are 11 and one at home this season, and that loss was to Kentucky in a really good game back in I think January. Yeah. So they're on one right now in a couple of different ways are the Gators. And this game at Florida for Alabama is going to come on a Tuesday night after the Tennessee game in Tuscaloosa. So it's going to be a short turnaround from Tennessee, I believe is a primetime game, I want to say, on that Saturday. And then go to 
Gainesville, which is always a weird trip or seems to have been a weird trip for Alabama basketball. Uh, but Alabama has won three of its last four down in Gainesville. And that's a place that I'm able to recall from about 1996 to 2014, about a stretch of 20 years. It was a house of horrors going down to what used to be the O'Connell Center there in Gainesville for Alabama men's hoops. But Nate, and I think even Avery have kind of turned that around here of late. So uh, it is, it's a weird trip, but I still went with Tennessee in the top spot because the memories of Alabama just not losing decisively, not just that in Knoxville in the earlier matchup, uh, Charlie, but getting big boy in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I can kind of attribute some of that. If you haven't seen Tennessee, if you haven't seen a Rick Barnes team and the physicality that comes with that one through five, it can be a little bit of a shock to your system. So when you think about Aaron Estrada and Grant Nelson and Latrell Wrightsell and, you know, this revamped roster for Alabama, I, I can understand that to an extent. But, you know, Tennessee has sort of the kryptonite for a team like Alabama. We talked about that here on the show, too. One of the biggest things about Nate Oates' teams is that he finds a way to stay old. They've done it with this team, but you know what Tennessee is too? They're old. Yeah, Tennessee is old. So you lose some of that advantage that you have maybe against some of these other teams that Alabama has faced. No, I mean, Tennessee is a veteran group. I mean, Viscovi feels like he's been there since the, those 90s that you're talking about at Florida. Uh, but no, it's – I think Alabama will be much better against Tennessee because like you said, they've seen it. It's going to be at home. Um Heck, you look at Alabama's trip to Knoxville last season, it wasn't a very good showing. Um, so Alabama's been able to turn around and respond after seeing um, those Rick Barnes teams a second time. But, yeah, it, it just kind of goes back to what we've talked about throughout the year, that that lack of a consistent rim protector. If they had a, a Charles Bediaco, which I know that's beating a dead horse and fans don't want to hear it, but I think Alabama would, would fare much better against Tennessee. But, um, you know, I think maybe this kind of – jolt that a guy like Nick Pringle has gotten of late could be beneficial. I think um, Grant Nelson's experience inside here the last month plus uh, can be beneficial. And Alabama's playing really well at home too. I think that's it being at home was the the toughest thing given the road trips that Alabama has left on the schedule. But, you know, that the 20 point loss is hard to ignore. I don't think it'll be that by any stretch of the imagination in round two, but it's going to be tough. And with Tennessee, a lot of it goes back to how is the game called? Yeah. You know, if Tennessee's allowed to get up into your guards and really get their hands on them and, you know, force you off the three-point line, we know that's what Tennessee's going to do. They're going to get up into Alabama and say, you're not getting open, clean looks from three. If you can beat us at the rim uh, and, and the whistle doesn't go your way as much as you'd like, then all the best to you. But it is interesting because these teams haven't played in Tuscaloosa in more than two years, you know, it was, I think, late December 2021, the last time the Vols visited Coleman Coliseum. And and that that alone, that home court advantage that Alabama has flexed here under Nate Oates is a reason why I almost put the road trip to Florida ahead of Tennessee on this list. Because, yeah, I think stylistically and in terms of matchups, it's not a good one for Alabama with Tennessee. But just like you can't ignore, we can't ignore that loss earlier in the season in Knoxville 
it's hard to ignore what Alabama basketball has done. It's really flown under the radar in a lot of ways because we hear so much about Auburn and Rupp and all these other places. And then when you put it in front of people, you put it on paper, pretty damn amazing what Alabama's done on its home floor. Yeah, they've won, I think it's up to 15 uh, straight SEC home games at Coleman, which I think is the longest for the program since 88. So, yeah, they've uh, they built quite a, a home court advantage. And look, um, the non-conference schedule from a home standpoint wasn't great. So early in the season, it was, you know, you had some some duds of crowds. We heard uh, what Jay Williams said about the the tennis court or tennis match, whatever he said. But here of late, in SEC play, um, the fans have have shown out, and really the students deserve a lot of credit. I think they should get uh, even closer to the floor because they're there or they're there before I'm even in the building. Uh, it feels like sometimes. So it's um, it's been good for Alabama. And, um, you know, I, I think that they will fare better at home, but, you know, we'll, we'll see if they can kind of respond to what's been a trend and, and a negative one for, for this team going against a potent big and a, a team like Tennessee that matches up well. Yeah, going to take everything Crimson Chaos has and then some. And you're right, man. That student section has elevated itself to among the very best in all of college basketball. As we get out of here, uh, Charlie, I'd be remiss if we didn't recognize our guy Ben Dover here because <laughs> he has been the topic of conversation on the roundtable and beyond. And yes, yes, we get it. If you're just now seeing Ben Dover here on the show, He's been here from the start. So where have you been? Ben's been here forever. I guess at this point, Troy, I guess you could say we're we're leaning in to bend over. <laughs> I don't know if that was the best way to go out. Uh, but as always, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, we've got plenty of stuff for you there at BamaOnline.com. Baseball and softball, Charlie, cranking up and both perfect on the young season. Some not so good news for baseball, though. Wanted to hit on this. Riley Quick, who looked to be a weekend kind of guy for this pitching staff, and Rob Vaughn in his first season at the helm, uh, didn't want to hear that on Tuesday, right? No, just three innings pitched. Looked good. Uh, Saturday start against Manhattan College um, with five strikeouts. But, yeah, he's uh, he's undergoing Tommy John surgery. And uh, Rob Vaughn talked about that after the game last night, um, how that sucks for, for Riley, but they're going to have to have some players to step up. But you know, he's a guy that um, played well last year, more of a reliever role. And, you know, I think he came up before the season opener Riley did. And you just talked about how he's changed a lot in his game, worked really hard with um, JJ this off season. So to see that happen this early in the year, that, that's that's a bummer. Not only just for the baseball team, which you said is 4-0, but for a guy that uh, seems to have a really bright future. So you never want to hear that. But you know, maybe Alabama will have some arms to step up now. I mean, Tommy John injuries have become like high ankle sprains, it seems like, uh, yeah. with baseball pitchers. It's almost like you can't really move forward with your career until you undergo Tommy John. It's uh, It's been crazy um it's 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 unfortunate as you said first and foremost for riley and then certainly for the alabama baseball team as a whole hey charlie as always appreciate you taking the time to join us right here on the youtube home for bamaonline.com always great stuff i know you're doing some positional stuff for us where football is concerned but anything breaking anything newsworthy 
Charlie Potter is all over it for us at BamaOnline.com. Thanks a lot, Charlie. Yeah, no problem. I, I set up that series because thinking February would be kind of chill. What was I thinking, <laughs> right? Yeah, so now it's just extra work at this point. <laughs> I, I've done that before. I've made that mistake myself many moons ago. Uh, many moons ago, but good, good stuff from Charlie with us. Subscribe to BamaOnline.com. Join us on the roundtable. You got Charlie, you got Tim Watts, you got Andrew Bone, you got Joseph Hastings, Clint Lamb, Jimmy Stein, myself. We're all hanging out with you at BOL. And of course, again, subscribe to our YouTube channel right here for BOL as well. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us. And until next time, so long, everybody.